if you have an opportunity or a situation that you could deepen your relationships, even if it's a corny excuse, then embrace it. If it's truly deepening the relationships or you're using it for that, that's the bottom line. Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Zal, that study hall where there are thousands of Jewish books except for the one that you're looking for. My name is David Grossbaum. <laughs> Joining me, as always, is my dear friend, Adam Valen Levinson. Adam, welcome back to the United States. Thank you so much for having me, and, um, and please don't kick me out. Now, Adam, you were recently uh, deported from the Sudan. Somalia. 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 Mm-hmm. And this was for your public nudity uh it was for um really just uh, being uh, misunderstood i i went because i was nearby i was curious uh, it seemed like you know here's the it's now or never and i showed up i had all the proper paperwork and they said yay but why this sort of feeling is very interesting you go to a place and people say I just, you're from America. Why aren't you in America? Well, I'm, you know, I'm curious about, you know, your place. No, no, you should get out of here. Are there so few tourists there that they're just immediately reluctant to believe your story? That's pretty much it. Yeah. For the few tourists that there are, they come in, they pay $700 a day for an armored car and for somebody to take them to go look at a tree, Huh? you know, and that's what they're used to tourism wise but if you come in you say look i understand the safety concerns i'm going to a hotel if i leave sure i'll take some guys with me okay 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 but this is this misunderstanding where people don't understand why you would be curious that's very tough what do you do with that i am curious there's a similar dynamic with indianapolis you know anytime someone moves here from one of the coasts everyone's like uh really like did you are you under witness protection program (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they do say that Mogadishu is the, the Indianapolis of the Horn of Africa. So <laughs> that, that was what they said. But they, that was on their right. postcards, you know, when you landed in the airport. <laughs> Welcome to the Indianapolis of the Horn of Africa. Wish you were here, but we won't let you in if you come. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Adam and I were uh, just chatting about um, how ridiculously commercial valentine's day has become you know it's obviously not a jewish holiday at all but even with its original intentions those are completely lost in just the ultimate physicality and consumerism of the day and uh we were just talking about that and then adam's like why don't we make a podcast i mean i know that this is not a unique question at all right. i mean i you know i've been invited to anti valentine's day parties which at the same time just reifies the holiday as something that matters that's totally fine and the, the idea of commercialized hallmark holidays that were just created of course everybody thinks about this all the time but I think I was interested in trying to see, well, do we have any older texts, ideas, conversations that do tap into this, not necessarily from an explicit angle, but from, mm-hmm. oh, what's this conversation's been had? Let's look into, you know, who right. else has been having it that's smarter than smarter than us. Use that for yourself. Kind of summarized your question into the most broad concept possible. 
and that was losing the thread. Losing the thread is the term used. Um, I know it originally from chess moves. So, you know, not to get too lost into my nerdiness, but when someone makes a chess move with a certain intention and it had a short-term intention, but somehow you've attached too much significance to that short-term intention and it becomes kind of a long-term goal of yours. And by the time you attain that goal, you're like, oh, shoot. I did, you know, seven moves for something that I was hoping to accomplish in one move. Turns out what I was trying to accomplish within that one move isn't relevant anymore. And I just wasted mm-hmm. seven moves. My enemy has now, you know, developed his army completely. <laughs> do they have, do they have, is there a Yiddish for red thread? I know there's a German, the German concept of a red thread in, you know, you're writing and you want to, you lose the red thread. And I think about this and in my writing a lot of the time, not only did I lose a red thread, I forgot we were making a sweater and my thread was green to begin with, but you know what I mean? And this is just me being ridiculous and Jewish in the sense that we're tying every non-Jewish thing to like, hey, maybe the original actor in the screenplay was a Jew, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So so you'll see observant men wear tzitzit, right? And tzitzit are white, Mm. but in the biblical commandment to wear tzitzit, there was a blue thread called tchelet that you were supposed to include in the tzitzit. But Jewish people as mm. a whole lost the thread. We, we no longer oh. know the right color blue, basically, and, and how to dye the wool properly. So we just don't do it anymore. So I was like, I don't know. Maybe they lost the thread. Maybe that's the right. origin of this expression, but I highly doubt it. And for those that don't know, tzitzit are, is uh, what, essentially a, a Jew scarf. A Jew scarf that you get on your bar mitzvah. Well, you could, that's talit. Tzitzit uh, is what most people wear underneath their clothes. It's close. They look basically identical. Okay. You wear it underneath your shirt usually. Some like Hasidic Jews wear it outside their shirt. But uh, you'll basically see them when the fringes are hanging mm, out mm-hmm. underneath a Jewish man's shirt. Those just little uh, things. Um, fringes. I guess that's the best word. It doesn't really summarize it. But that's, I think that's really interesting though, even thinking about the, that link between an idea, a symbolic idea, and then the physical representation of it. And it's such a clear example to me of losing a thread if you've now forgotten what the symbol was. And this is where people get into major fights. They've literally forgotten what the general idea is. And maybe this is how religions get divided, how fights get started, or how any kind of disagreement where you go, yeah, you forgot, we're on the same side symbolically. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean just maybe i ordered a grapefruit juice and you ordered orange and you go <laughs> what are you doing it's you know a mimosa or whatever you know what i mean and you mm-hmm. forgot the whole mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. was just being together and celebrating and i, and I guess I, I i've been away from brunch for too long so those are my examples but no but i know what you mean you basically you're saying that you know all the discrepancies sometimes come down to tactics but the the goals and the essence are very much the same you're right you know and that's very much related to the topic at hand. When I was in yeshiva, in you know yeshiva high school, I should say, uh, the principal would always go with a metaphor that he heard. I was looking for the source of this. It's almost tongue-in-cheek. But in ancient times, there was a, an idol known as the Baal Peor. Basically, how you served this idol was through defecation. Okay. You would just drop a dooski and... Uh, <laughs> that Yiddish... <laughs> is that Yiddish? It does sound like a Polish name, you know? Hey, the Dooskies came in the late 19th century. 
So they would defecate before this idol, and that's how they served it. In our times, that's ridiculous. And in those times, it was ridiculous. But I don't know if this is Jewish commentaries or this is made up, but this is the metaphor that he always gave for losing the thread. He said, actually, originally, the first people that were praying to this idol were super spiritual and almost lost control of their bodily faculties. Mm. Trance. And they just kind of, yeah, they just let loose. And one of the outside signs of having let yourself go is defecation okay. yeah but their children or their followers who weren't really robust and in-depth understanding their theology they're like oh okay this is how we serve this idol we only saw the most external uh. thing this is what we've learned and then from then on they just defecated as service of the idols Yeah, it was just skipping right to the end. It's kind of, it's so important to understand. Not that you can ever trace an idea all, all the way to the beginning, but to at least have some sense of, wait, why? 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 Why are we doing this? That's, that is the thing that I think gets, that gets lost at every state. Even, even, you know, I think it was our generation sort of where, where Hanukkah became much more of a Christmassy kind of thing. Ah, it's for presents. It's for this and this and this. Not to say it shouldn't be and shouldn't be really fun. But it started to match up with all these kinds of things for reasons that were maybe kind of losing the thread of, you know, this is another one of the tri- they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat holidays. And it mm-hmm. became about mm-hmm. like, but I want the Transformer action figure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a perfect example. Maybe it's even like the, the Jewish Valentine's Day dynamic where it's something absolutely commercialized from like the really difficult and prickly origins that it came from you know the hard questions that it posed mm. when it was uh, made originally do you know what those are of hanukkah of valentine's day oh no i have no idea is it it's not even a religious holiday right is it like do christians consider it a religious holiday you're not hearing me google right now not at all um saint <laughs> valentine was a guy uh and then it became associated with romantic love in medieval times as my father says he doesn't daven in my shul no no so he was uh, martyred and one of the last the legends about what he wrote the daughter of his jailer he signed it your valentine and then it became associated with romance in the early early medieval times oh that really i mean that that gives you a whole new view on what it is will you be my valentine you know will your dad lock me up and kill me tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) that might be that might be the first jewish aspect i've heard of valentine's look look none of us expect to love our in-laws so why don't we get this one out of and why don't we just knock this one out right off the bat you know This episode of The Zal is brought to you by people your parents think you should know. Have you met him? He just moved to the city. I think you guys both like the same things. Football or or, or baseball? What is it? Tennis? And her? Have you thought about her in a long time? She's, She's nice. People your parents think you should know. You should meet him. The classic example when it comes to losing the thread in the Jewish principles is the Jewish opinion of how idolatry even started in the first place. Mm. 
This is directly from the Rambam. The Rambam in the Book of Mada, the first chapter uh, on idolatry, he uh, lines out the chronology of idolatry. And he said, and it's interesting because if you're studying the Chumash, it's kind of like very sudden. Because you look at you look at the, to- the Jewish Bible, the Torah, right? There's Adam and his offspring. They're all having these super direct interactions with God. So clearly monotheism is intact, right? They're not bowing down to idols. And then fast forward, you know, Noah, but we don't really know their theology so much. But then Abraham comes along, who's uh, the first Jew. And we say he invented or reinvented ethical monotheism. But where did that get lost? You know, because he didn't invent it completely we believe that adam and eve and so where did the idolatry come in that he had to be the you know trailblazer in monotheism so the rambam lays it out and he says like this that originally people believed in the one god but they started off with a very minor mistake and that minor mistake was that there is some free choice basically to the sun and the moon and the clouds and the rain and in all these natural phenomena that makes them worthy for praise they still believed in god and they still believe god as the only deity but just like i would give you praise if you kind of did me a favor even though i still believe in god mm. so to kind of like you know say a little thank you to the sun for you know allowing your crops to grow and the rain for for hydrating that i see yeah so that's how it started and then that later morphed into the belief that not just you should praise them but god expects you to worship them also I see. Right again, they're losing the thread. Okay, and then that morphed into saying, "Oh no, these are the only gods, and they're the all-powerful gods. It's not just one king god, and then all these little servant gods that we kind of need to do some backroom dealing with in order to get the rain and the sun." Rather, at a certain point, they lost the thread completely and said, "No, no, it's just the sun and the moon and the stars and anything and the earth, things that you could touch. Those are the things that are worth worshiping." Okay. So the Jewish philosophers and theologians say at the start there was a fundamental mistake because when I thank a human being for doing a job, that's not a contradiction to monotheism because we believe the human to have free will. So therefore they're deserving of thanks. Whereas the sun, the moon, and the stars and all these other heavenly bodies, they don't. The metaphor that's given is like the lumberjack comes to your yard in the in the dead of winter in Soviet Russia and gives you a big stack of logs to keep your house warm. You thank him, maybe pay him, and then you turn to his axe and you say thank you too. Mm. And that would be seen as ridiculous because here is the axe is an, an inanimate object that didn't have any choice in the matter and he was just slung at a tree and chopped it, but it's not worth thanking. So that was kind of the seeds to their start that we kind of see all of these natural phenomena as axes Mm. with which God allows us to survive. But they kind of gave too much credence to the axe and they started bowing down to the axe. Oh, thank you, Mr. Axe, which would be seen as ridiculous to us. That's what initially led them astray. Yeah, I guess I have two thoughts about that. One is that I really I've had this experience in a lot of places where where I've said thank you to somebody who's observant whether it's in the Islamic tradition or Jews and having people say like, no, 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 no. Like uh, not quite offended, but, but taken aback in a little bit that please, no, 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 no. It's all thanks to God. I guess I, I respect the attitude, but I find it to be very distancing, like from one human to the next, because you could have done otherwise. I know you could have done otherwise, uh, whether it's, uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, a mm -hmm. binary between did you help me get my stuff in a car or not, or whether it's the way that you did it was extra helpful or whatever. There's so, yeah, like you're saying, there's so many choices. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. you don't let somebody thank somebody, it's, it seems. You're the sociologist, but I've always had this theory that I can't speak for other observant religions, but when it comes to observant Jews, they just can't accept nice verbal things. Like if you say, if you tell a maybe not even observant Jews, maybe it's even across the board, but you just say, hey, that's a really nice sweater. They're immediately getting defensive and be like, whoa, 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 it was on sale. You know, it was, it's 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 60% polyester. Like, calm down with those thank yous. I know. You know, I I do this too, and I didn't even grow up in that car. I, I was told just yesterday, like, you're really bad at taking compliments, aren't you? I liked your book. Well, it was younger and somebody helped me, didn't they? you know, and I just told what happened. Uh, what, what is that? What, why? What, what is, what is that? I mean, is that essentially this idea that I had nothing to do with it? Is it like this sort of false humility that's just, I don't know what to do. Is it a insecurity or just a... Mm -hmm. I think it's an insecurity. Or just this learned defense mechanism that's like, if you're telling me that this was good, then I no longer, I'm losing the ability to to, to believe that I'm not good enough at a thing. I don't have the pressure of having an ability, you know, whatever it is. I, but it definitely does seem like a defense mechanism. And it really does piss people off. But on the reverse, you always have that Larry David episode where I think that kid that received the sewing machine, mm. the kid's like, oh, thank God. Thank God. Thank Larry. <laughs> I think the ideal is to be strict on both sides. A lot of the time when someone's not receptive to thanks, it's false humility or weird defensiveness or insecurity. But sometimes they're truly spiritual people and they truly believe, no, it's not me. You know, thank God. And I really respect the people that, that say that and mean it. But on the other hand, do a favor for one of those people. Mm. They're not going to be turning to God. Mm. They're going to be usually, if they're legit people, they'll be the most profuse right. in thanking the human. Right. So even they have some contradictions in their philosophy. Because if it's only God, so when someone does you a favor, you should also be thanking God. But clearly, mm. you're giving a lot of space for, for humans as well. It's just the question is, is the human you? Or are you being selfish or selfless? But even so... There's different types of giving. Marcel Mauss was a was a French sociologist around the turn of the century, last last century, and he wrote about the gift, and it was really fundamentally about how gift giving is the core of of societal interaction and is what holds society together. The different ways that you give gifts, and there are different categories of how that might happen. But without that. We, we don't know one another. We don't know how to relate to one another. We don't know. And so many things can be considered gifts, but we, but, but, but we are constantly giving and accepting and giving and accepting and giving and accepting. Mm -hmm. And if it's, only, if it's only this idea that, no, we're getting everything from a power we don't understand and can't see, there's, there really is, you know, the idea of having a, a bunch of siblings and a father, but none of the siblings talk to one another. Mm -hmm. That's not that's not really much of a family. And it's not compatible to the belief of free choice. It definitely isn't. And I don't think it's compatible to some of the other things that we've talked about on the pod about whether it's Jewish culture or groups in general or anybody about togetherness. How can you have that? Mm -hmm. How could you possibly have that? now? And now here we are with a holiday 
that seems largely, largely, largely about gift giving and the expectation of gifts or the rejection of gift giving, but it, but we're, we're all implicated in this conversation and we have to make a decision or not. We're all put on that yet, say yes or no, nobody's abstaining from this vote. Mm-hmm. You gotta vote, mm-hmm. you know? Until now, we've pretty much emphasized the importance of holding on to the thread and realizing the end goal and and the origin of why it started or where it started and what it's all about. I'm going to just throw one more thing into the hopper to fulfill our requirement for grayness and say that within Hasidic tradition, there was a slur. This is the worst thing you could call someone in yeshiva. When you're in a rabbinic seminary of rabbi or rabbinical students and people that study Torah the whole day, the worst thing you could call someone is, and it's a Hebrew word, is a chitzen. You call someone that, and it's not a real zinger. It's not sharp or original. But if you say that and you mean that and they're right, Hmm. devastation. Do we have to bleep this up? (laughs) The ch word? Yeah. It's so a chitzen is someone that is, in one word, it's a faker. Uh, someone that's just going through the motions of being spiritual or spirituality or being pious or whatever, but it isn't really internally feeling the actions that he's undertaking externally. Uh-huh. Right? So let's say I close my eyes pretending to pray for 10 hours a day. So if someone prays for 10 hours a day, they're clearly on a high spiritual level if they mean it. Uh-huh. The problem is there's no way we could truly vet if you mean it but if someone's looking at the clock the whole time making coffees for himself 24 7 kind of you know spacing out checking his phone and that's his 10 hours of prayer then we know it's just a shut why are you doing this just you know do the regular length yeah so how to how to not be a chitzen how to not be a faker a chitzen literally means an external person external it's only for the outside it's only for the show okay yeah the reverse of that is a panini is an internal person a panini me <laughs> don't get excited hey you know it's yeah it's getting towards dinner time but you know the idea a lot of stuff is on the inside and we pressed it down it's a very concentrated thing and the insides matter i don't know why that's you know uh, no. talk about etymology uh, p- <laughs> no different word panini with a it's the second with panini just take that second n and turn it into an m like michael um so so but what is a panini how to become a panini so the previous Chabad Rebbe said, uh, I think on at least one occasion, but probably more, he said in Yiddish, he said, Apnimi vu er is, is er in Gansen. For Apnimi, wherever he is, he's there totally. Yeah. So any given moment, anything that you're undertaking, you are t- completely present in that what you're doing. If you would take the first 90% of this recording to heart, someone can reach the mistaken conclusion and think, oh, if I know the origin and I know the end, the end goal, the purpose, then all the means along the way is something that I don't need to be present for Mm -hmm. because I know why I'm doing it and I know what I'm aiming for. Mm -hmm. And that's in that case, for for the ends, you might be a panimi, but for the means, for the road to get to those ends, you'll be a chitzen. Because you're not truly invested in that which you're doing. 
And that's a really, really difficult balance to, to strike. The recognition that this is just a means to end end, that I know the origin for whatever I'm doing and I know the purpose for what I'm doing. It's just a, it's just a path. But to be truly present on the path. Sure. Don't treat the path as an end on the one hand, but nevertheless treat the path as a path and experience it wholly. Yeah, I think this is a, call it an insult, that's meaningful to everyone. I think this norm of authenticity, there have been a lot of writers who have talked about the age of authenticity, this increasing kind of thing, how people want to have quote unquote authentic experiences, and how you want to be real and being called disingenuous is terrible, being called a phony, like in Catcher in the Rye, you know, the, mm -hmm. this disillusioned teenager saying just the whole world's full of phonies, everybody's faking everything. That's a horrible thing. And I think the more self-conscious we become about that, then we get caught in this weird area of going, well, I want to be true, but I'm also aware of that desire. So now is anything I do also didn't disingenuous because I'm doing it. I know what I'm trying to, Right. how do I now try consciously, self-consciously to be not self-conscious? And just to be, and just mm -hmm. to be true and not performing. Yeah, no, someone asked me that, a similar question yesterday. He's like, if every, if I put on tefillin in the morning, he's an Israeli Jew living in Indiana. And he's like, if I put on tefillin in the morning, and I'm not doing it for God to make me rich. I'm not doing it for God to give me health. I'm doing it just for meaning. Mm. Just because I want meaning in my life. Mm -hmm. Is that also not altruism he didn't say that in in english because he doesn't know english but he was basically asking is that self-serving if i'm doing it for the meaning so i responded to him i think it's right that it's all relative you know if you would you, if you want to talk essentials yes it's technically still self-serving but in comparison to your prayer yesterday which was for a car and the day before which was for money you know this is extremely altruistic in comparison yeah, and even not altruistic towards other people. I think at the base level is, does it feel true to you? Mm -hmm. Meaning, at the simplest level, that's that's what life is. You know, trying to find meaning. Yeah, I've kind of thought, you know, the meaning of life is trying to find meaning in life. You, know, <laughs> you can get more complicated than that, but if that feels true to you, then how could you possibly take that away? How could you possibly say that that's disingenuous? Right. There's no way. Right. But, but then you find these scenarios where you get properly put in a corner where somebody says, hey, uh, are you going to do this? And if you do it, say, you know, Valentine's Day, flowers, chocolate, this and that, maybe you're in a relationship, are you going to do it? If you do it, are you just doing it to do it? very hard not to say yes. I mean, you really feel all the feelings and you really want to give a gift, but are you doing it? And you're doing it on this day of all days. What are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then you're forced into this. I'm, I'm making meaning just out of the opposite. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm choosing to do the opposite, but at the same time, that too is a performance mm -hmm. because it's, I perform, I'm performing the opposite. It's, it's very clearly a performance. All you can do is forget about it, but you're not going to. <laughs> mm -hmm. You can't pass a bus without a sign. You know, you're not going to forget.
that's that i think is like that's a key of the sort of modern condition of being put on this fence that you're going to fall off in one way or the other and all you can do is lean that's really well said it reminds me of in yeshiva we always are looking for excuses to farbrang and mm. there was this concept and it's been around for hundreds of years but to have a farbrangin on a pashat mitvach, which means on a regular weekday mm. wednesday right yeah. just a regular weekday even if there's nothing we're so connected to our fellows and we're seeking meaning so deeply and want we're seeking joy so deeply that we're prepared to forbring even if there's no excuse to forbring mm. but then you run into the problem of having no excuse being your goal that's a new excuse to mm -hmm. forbring you know yes. it's, it's, it's the same exact point that you're making yes yes and and that's what i think a conversation can be that a a very clear-cut action has a harder time doing where you have the conversation, you acknowledge all these weird paradoxes that you're fully, you're implicated in no matter what you can't get out of. Mm -hmm. And once you acknowledge those and you talk about those honestly, well, now that's what we might think of as authentic. You've said what you think and you've said that you're not sure and you've said, 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 said. Then you go and you do a thing. Mm -hmm. But the doing itself, and maybe this is where kind of losing a thread comes into play. They're never it really is a thread or maybe there was but now we live in a more complicated time with conflicting meanings and we're all caught up in all these different things and we're aware of all these different meanings mm -hmm. and we're not just doing it because of tradition everything's become tzitzit everything's fringed everything's fringed mm -hmm. the thread got fringed mm -hmm. so maybe you acknowledge that and you say okay look i'm gonna do a thing but i'm not gonna say that this is this is something that i'm 100 percent involved in mm -hmm. i'm not being a faker because mm -hmm. i'm already telling you i'm not even sure mm -hmm. what meaning i'm getting for always an eternity the zal is brought to you by schmendel's herring deodorant which uses technology from our time in ancient egypt to turn pickled herring into an aerosol schmendel's better to smell like a fish than like a man and then also i think maybe taking things in a larger context of at the end of the day, how big of a deal is this by itself? I think if I were younger, then there's more of this like, I don't like the way this has become corporate. I don't like this and this and this. Maybe I'll try and think of like a, 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 a original or interesting way of still participating. Mm -hmm. and that'll be kind of my like fuzzy way of operating. Mm -hmm. But to like really think about it and to really want to to, to find some sort of totally genuine honest to me way of being almost like a you know political statement or a moral statement now maybe it's just you know getting getting older and wrinklier gray hairs and you know, back hurts and it's just like you recognize this isn't that big a deal do 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 just do it or don't do it or don't right it's okay you don't have to judge a person for what they do you shouldn't really. I mean, you really shouldn't. But it's like just recognized in this context. It's not that big a deal. And if you find yourself saying, I've used this as a massive excuse to treat somebody like a piece of garbage for 364 days, but this day I won't, then maybe, you know, try and have some self-awareness about that part. Mm -hmm. You got kids in the house and a wife. You you gonna get chocolates and flowers? Is that is that? Oh no, absolutely not. You've got you've got a clearer world that you're inside that just does not do that 
the flower budget is already exhausted from every Shabbat, dude. Okay, yeah, so, so, yeah. So you have that, so you have that, but if you were living outside of a, an Orthodox community. I, I was re-listening to our Dreams episode. It's like, if you have an opportunity or a situation that you could deepen your relationships, even if it's a corny excuse, then embrace it. If it's truly deepening the relationships or you're using it for that. That's the bottom line. I know. I think with this kind of thing, sometimes it it offers an excuse in that moment. Maybe it feels a little deeper, not that much deeper because it's expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the same way that uh, you hold the door for an old woman who's right behind you. But if she's two minutes away, now holding the door is a different kind of thing. It's less expected, whatever. But the expected version, nobody's like, what a good guy. He didn't slam the door in that old lady's face. <laughs> you know, that's what I thought would happen. So it's not even that much. And then also, I feel like it may be Mother's Day is something that sort of pops up. That people go, ah, oh, my mother. And all the Instagram posts, my mother's strongest woman in the world. And I would be nothing without her. Well, maybe it brings you off the hook the other 364 days of the year where you go, yeah, that's my mom. My you know, I wasn't doing anything for it. I didn't really think mm-hmm. about it. And mm-hmm. that, that's the kind of thing that I, I sort of worry about these, these holidays that say, this is where we focus this kind of energy and reflect on a thing. But it is almost guaranteeing an excuse the rest of the year to say, oh, no, yeah, but I'll, I'll, pl- I'll plan for that day that mm-hmm. day that mm-hmm. ends in an evening and is over the next day mm-hmm. do people get divorced more on february 15th you know what i mean <laughs> today feels terrible yesterday was great what's happening today you know what i mean <laughs> i wonder there has to be statistics on that yeah 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 <laughs> well okay thank you for listening to the 15th episode of the Zal. Today you heard music by the incomparable Stephanie Chow. That's her song, Granada. Uh, you heard Our Way by Nussin Zand, the Orthodox rapper and the Zal's first ever guest. Um, if you haven't heard, give our two-part interview with him a listen. And you heard the unreleased River, written by Ryan Chaney, with a bit of Valentine. Uh, that's yours truly, making a mess of things on the trumpet. And we want to say a very special thank you to an anonymous donor to the Zal, a dear friend of the young Jewish community of Indianapolis. We love you all for listening, and we'll catch you very soon. I wish I could get that in Indiana. There's no sellers of smoke tearing in Indiana. I'm going to send you something from in New York. So many of my friends have, you know, relations to the biggest herring people in the world. <laughs> What a flex. <laughs> I know some of the biggest herring people in the world. Oi, you know, who are you? And now oh, you my. wonder how I landed Hana as my wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Said that on the third date and it was over. <laughs> he let it slip in. <laughs> hey, in case you want some herring. All right, well, happy Valentine's Day. And... <laughs>